you, children, for that ministry and music. So looking forward to tonight. Hope that you can be back for the children's cantata. Trust that is really going to be a, a great evening. So we, again, would encourage you to be back tonight. It certainly is easy to be sidetracked at this time of year with so many thoughts about Christmas that uh, we forget about its true significance. So our exhortation is let's keep Christ in Christmas. You all remember the reason for the season as we contemplate about our Lord Jesus Christ. I commented to the Board of Elders back in November when we were talking about having Advent for four weeks. I said it's getting to be a challenge uh, after uh, 29 years come up with four Christmas sermons every year that are different. And they said, well, preach another one over again then. Well, I try not to do very much of that. And uh, I must say that I've enjoyed our Christmas meditations. And the passage I'm going to look at today, I actually was working on four different sermons from this one passage. So many thoughts came uh, into mind as I was working through this. Uh, It kind of came alive for me. And uh, I hope that it will prove to be a benefit to you. We are in Luke chapter 2, and I quoted to the children Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, because that indeed is a a unit, and it's easy to lose sight of that. Most of your Bibles are going to divide it up into uh, sections, if you have any kind of study Bible, and I understand the reason they do that, but this morning, I want us to, to focus on these verses as a unit, as a unit. There are three sections, and all of them have to do with a baby lying in a manger. The first section is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, and answers the question, how did Jesus come to be in Bethlehem lying in a manger? That's the Focal point of verses 1 to 7. How did Jesus come to be in Bethlehem and why was he laid in a manger? The next section, verses 8 through 14, deal with the question, why did Jesus have to come to Bethlehem and lie in a manger? The third section, verses 15 through 20, is what is the outcome of Jesus having been placed in a manger in Bethlehem? So it all centers around Jesus being placed in a manger in Bethlehem. But that isn't the central idea to the passage. All of that is subservient to a greater theme. And that theme is found in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. It is the angelic pronouncement. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's what this whole passage is about. There is today, in the city of David, a Savior who is born who is Christ the Lord. This morning's message is an incredibly long 
introduction to that message. Next Sunday, I'm going to look at that proclamation and unpack it for you. But today, I'm just going to introduce all of the surrounding material to demonstrate how it is going to illustrate and illuminate what the angels have to say, what the angel had to say about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, the Savior who is Christ the Lord. So this morning, the theme is the angel's proclamation is central to this passage. And then the application is going to be, thus it ought to be central to our understanding of Christmas as well. When we think about Christmas, what we should think about is the fact a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. But today, just focusing on how that message is central to these first 20 verses. Number one, the emphasis in this passage is not on the angels, but on the angels' message. The emphasis is not upon the angels, but is on the angels' message. Now, the angel came in an amazing fashion to bring the message to the shepherds. The angel makes a grand entrance and certainly gets the shepherds' attention. The angel just appeared to the shepherd out of nowhere. Notice verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them. NAS says, suddenly stood before them. I've translated it, appeared out of nowhere. It is just like poof. And there is this angel. As opposed to the way that Gabriel had come to Mary. When we looked at that passage. If you remember, it said concerning the angel coming to Mary, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. I said the, the angel walked up, perhaps knocked on the door, appeared as any human being would have encountered Mary. Not so with the shepherds. Poof! And this angel is there. Then, the shepherds are enveloped in a great light. Look at verse 9. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. This was not just a bright light in the sky, or even the entire sky being lit up. This is the shepherds surrounded by, engulfed by, in a great light. Not just up there, but here 
and there and there and at their feet. They are surrounded by light. Light was everywhere they looked. And the result was the shepherds were scared stiff. Notice verse 9. And they were terribly frightened. King James, they were sore afraid. Now, imagine. Imagine. That would be a pretty unnerving experience. It's sometimes pretty weird when you see a strange light in the sky. Don't know what it is and think, is that a UFO or what's happening uh, with this strange light? But that's not what it was. It was they were just engulfed in light. Nothing that they'd ever encountered before in their life. They'd never seen anything like this. And they were scared. There's only one other account in the scripture of anyone ever being surrounded by light. And uh, that account is in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9. has to do with Paul on the road to Damascus. And there it says that the light shone round about him, but there it flashed. It was like a lightning bolt. When the lightning just flashes up the sky, well, Paul's on the road to Damascus, and for a moment, just in a brief second, he was just totally engulfed in light. This is not Luke chapter 2. It wasn't just like a, a lightning bolt and a flash of, of light. They are standing engulfed in light as the angel talks to them. My point is, it would have been pretty easy to be distracted. It's pretty easy to be thinking about this light and all that goes on. The angel introduces his message describing how important it is. So before the angel gives the message, he in essence says, this is why you ought to listen up. This is why you ought to pay attention. First, the message is characterized as good news. Verse 10. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. For hold, I am bringing you good news. All right, so don't worry. What I got to tell you is good stuff. Secondly, a message that is a cause for tremendous gladness. Verse 10. I bring you good news of great joy. You're going to love to hear this. This is great stuff. And then thirdly, a message that has significance for everyone. Which shall be for all the people. So this good news... And this joy is not just for the shepherds, and it's certainly not just for Mary and Joseph. This is good news. This is joy. This is exciting stuff for everybody. That's the introduction. So now we get to the message itself. Verse 11. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Look at the elements. First, a child has been born for you in the city of David. Earlier in the passage, we find out that the city of David is Bethlehem. Why is it referred to as the city of David here? Well, that's next week. There has been born for you a Savior. A Savior. What does that mean? We'll look at that next week. Who is Christ the Lord? What does that mean? We'll look at that next week. Okay? We're going to look at the message next week. Today, the thought is, this is what is central to this passage. 
This is the most important thing. That's why we're going to spend next week in just unpacking that message. But the message is most important. And then, the message is accompanied by a sign. Verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. A sign is given to demonstrate the truthfulness of a message. There are two reasons for a sign in the scripture. Often referred to as signs and wonders. There are two purposes for a sign. The first is to authenticate a message. To prove that a message has come from God. When this message is really, really incredible, God often empowers the prophets or some other one to perform some kind of sign, such as Moses. Moses says, how are the people ever going to believe me? God says, put your hand into your tunic and pull it out, and it was leprous. Put your hand back in and pull it out, and it was clean. Leprosy was gone. He said to uh, Moses, throw down your rod, and it became a snake. He said to Moses, pick up that rod, and uh, that snake, and it became a rod again. These were signs that Moses was given to authenticate the message that he had heard from God. The second reason for a sign is it somehow advances the understanding of the message. The sign is not superfluous. It is not inconsequential. The sign itself has meaning. The sign is a teaching tool. So that Jesus performed many signs. John chapter 20 says that Jesus did many things which are written in this book. But these are written that you may know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So Jesus performed signs so that they would know that he was the Son of God. And the sign that he performed illustrated or explained what he was teaching. Let me give you some examples. For example, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. To authenticate that and to explain it, he gave them a sign. And that was he healed blind Bartimaeus. He gave sight to this person who was blind. When Jesus said that he was the light of the world, he was going to give spiritual understanding to those who were blind, who were dark, who were dead in their sins. So, to prove the reality, he performed the sign. I have the power to do this. I can give sight to the blind, and in giving sight to the blind, it furthered the understanding of what he meant when he said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he fed the multitude. Jesus was saying that he was able to provide for the people that which they needed. To demonstrate the reality of that truth, he fed a multitude out of just a few loaves and fishes. To authenticate the reality, the truth of what he said, 
and that it revealed, somehow advanced the message that he was the bread of life. So, we have a sign in verse 12 of a babe lying in a manger, which was to authenticate the message, which we will see this morning, and further advance the truth of that message, which we're going to see next week. Because the message is central to the passage. Jesus is Savior, Christ, and Lord. How do they know that? He's going to be lying in a manger. And then next week, how does Jesus lying in a manger illuminate or give greater understanding that he is Savior, Christ, and Lord? That's what we want to look at next week. Next, all heaven rejoices at the message. Luke 2.13 And suddenly, there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on, on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Or King James, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It is the heavenly response to the message that the angel just declared. The angel said, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And in response to that message, the angels, the multitude of angels, appear Praising God, glorifying Him, saying in verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and there shall be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to unfold it and with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Not for this morning. We're focusing on the centrality of the message to this narrative. How do we know that the Proclamation is central to this narrative. Please note with me. First, even for the shepherds, the emphasis is not on the angels, but on the message that the angel brought. Let me say that again. Even for the shepherds, the emphasis is not on the angels, but what on the message that they brought. So many times at Christmas, we center on the angels. But it's not the angels, it's the message the angels brought. How do we know that? Number one, the shepherds focused not on the angels once they left, but rather on the message that they had heard. Notice verse 15. Now it came about, when the angels had gone away, 
Uh, I uh, prefer the uh, rendering of the King James there where it says, as they went away. The thought is immediately, with no time lag. These angels probably just poof, and they're gone. As they appeared out of nowhere, they go into the, into the heavens. Well, immediately upon that, notice what happens. Verse 15. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem. Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. They just didn't stand there and gaze into the sky. Now, why do I say that? Well, if you remember in Luke chapter 1, we have an account of the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He appears to his disciples. He talks with his disciples. He teaches his disciples. And when he's done teaching them, he ascends bodily into the air, into heaven, in front of them. And so they're watching Jesus. It must have been an incredible sight to see Jesus just leave this earth, this ground, and be floating higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher into the sky. So, what do the disciples do when Jesus is out of sight? They're transfixed. They're amazed. They they never saw anything like that. I think I can understand that. I I think I could be standing there a while myself, trying to contemplate, trying to understand what that was. And so, what happens is, Acts chapter 1, verse 10, And as they were gazing intently into the sky... While he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the sky? Why do you stand here? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And so get on with life. Get on with what you have to do. Get on with what Jesus told you to do. No one has to tell these shepherds Quit gawking at this empty sky and get going. As soon as the angels departed, immediately as they departed, they said to one another, let's go and let's see what was told to us. Let's go and see what was told to us. The shepherds believed the message that they had heard. Notice verse 15. Let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened. This is not a conditional statement. This is, a, this is an indicative statement. Meaning that they are asserting this. Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing. It's not, let us go and see if this has happened. Let's go and see if this is true. But let's go and see what's happened. 
the angel said, a baby's been born. Let's go see him. That's their initial response. Next, the, the shepherds focus on the divine origin of the message that they had heard. Look at verse 15. Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened. And now these words, which may seem insignificant, but to me are of tremendous importance, which the Lord has made known unto us. Not what the angels have said. In fact, there is no reference of the shepherds to the angels at all in this passage. Now, they may at some point have said something, but there's no, nothing recorded of the, of, the, of the shepherds' focus on the angels at all. And even here, they're saying, not, let's go and see what the angels said. Let us go and see what God has said, what the Lord has said. The emphasis is on the message. So the shepherds hurry off to Bethlehem, verse 16, and they came in haste, found their way to Mary and Joseph and the babe as he lay in a manger. The message is authenticated by the sign. Remember the sign is in verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. A small thing, but I think a matter of interest is that God fulfills His Word exactly. For notice what happens in verse 16. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and her babe. What's the next statement say? Lying in a manger. The angel said, you will find a baby lying in a manger. Small, but it does not say that they came and saw the manger where the baby had lain. When they got there, there was not only a manger, there was a baby in it. One of those pet peeves I have of crushes that so many times are inaccurate. You know, so many crushes, not all of them, some of them have the baby in the manger, but a lot of them have the baby in Mary's arms. The baby wasn't in Mary's arms when the shepherds got there. The baby was in the manger exactly the way in which God said they would find him. He was in a manger. There it was, lying there. And the sign illustrated the message came from God. Notice the shepherds declare the message that they had heard concerning the child. Verse 17. And when they had seen this, they made known abroad which had been told them about this child. Or NAS, they made known this statement which had been told them about the child. What did they make known? They made known that this child is the Savior 
He's the Christ. He's the Lord. And he would be found lying in the manger. Now notice the effect that the shepherds declaring the message had on others. For those who heard the message, verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at the things which had been told them by the shepherds. What did it mean? What did it mean that Jesus was Savior? What did it mean that He was Christ? What did it mean that He was Lord? And why was He in this manger? That is what was going through their mind. For Mary, the message was precious. Verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things. And she continued to ponder them. Notice verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Meaning that she rehearsed these words over and over again. A Savior is going to be born. He's Christ. He's the Lord. You're going to find Him lying in a manger. She kept thinking about that. They were precious. She loved to reflect and constantly ask, but what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? So next week, we're going to reflect on what does that mean? But today, it is the message was central. Notice what she is reflecting on is what what the shepherds said. Now, the effect that the night's events had upon the shepherds. Verse 20. And when the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. They glorified and praised God. Why? For all that they had heard and seen. Now stop with me for a moment. This verse was the impetus for this message. And I'll tell you why. It says that the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. I was working at memorizing this passage this week. I'd memorized it in the past, but I'd forgotten good portions of it. And so I was recommitting it to memory. And I was struggling with this verse to get it right. Because I kept saying to myself, the shepherds went back. Let me get it out of King James. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard. And then I went and I said, no, 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 it's heard and seen. And I started memorizing this passage before I started working through it. Because I need to get a head start. It took me a while to memorize these verses. And I said to myself, first of all, does it make a difference? Heard or seen, seen and heard. What if I get these things backwards? Does that really matter? Well, I'm pretty much a stickler. And so the next thing I did is I went to the American Standard. Heard and seen. Went to the NIV. Heard and seen. Now, that's not the way we talk. We say seen and heard. Right? We don't say heard and seen. You say you've seen and heard. So, more importantly, I went to the Greek. I looked at what the Greek said. And sure enough, the emphasis is on the herd. They went and they were rejoicing because of what they had heard. 
and what they had seen. What they were rejoicing in was the message. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And when it says they were rejoicing in what they had seen, it's referring to the baby lying in a manger. That this message was true. And this baby was born. And this baby is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. They didn't rejoice because the heavens opened up. And they didn't rejoice because they talked to an angel face to face. And they didn't rejoice because they had this incredibly neat experience of being totally engulfed in the light. And they didn't rejoice because they had this additionally incredible experience of having the heavens open up and a huge heavenly choir. I can't imagine what all that would have been like. But in the minds of the shepherds, it was all trumped, overshadowed by the message that they had heard and the baby they had seen. None of the other stuff mattered in the light of what these angels had to say and the authentication of that message when they saw this baby lying in a manger. Which simply said to me, we can't lose sight of the centrality of the gospel to the Christmas story. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And if you've lost that, you've lost the story. Even the crash, when it's not accompanied by the gospel, is meaningless. Anybody can put figurines out in their front lawn. Anybody can put a crash out in front of a public building. I'm glad they're there. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad they're there. All I'm saying to you is, but the gospel is the centrality. It's for unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, you don't understand Christmas. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, you can't celebrate Christmas the way in which it was intended to be celebrated. Celebrating Christmas is more than a poinsettia tree, poinsettias, greens, advent wreaths, candles. All of these things are nice and fine in their place. But Christmas is about Jesus Christ as the Savior of this world and it must be central in our thinking. When you rejoice this Christmas season, when you are thankful, when you are giving praise, when these shepherds 
return glorifying and praising God. They are praising and glorifying God for the Savior that's been given. It reminds me of the passage that says that there's great rejoicing in heaven over one person that repents. When the multitude of the heavenly host appears, it is in response to what the message that has just been given. That a Savior has been born. Heaven was waiting in anticipation of the coming and birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that finally happens, heaven just erupts in gratitude and praise to God for this incredible event that has just taken place. All heaven erupts. The scripture says all heaven erupts when one person repents. Oh, that we would have that perspective. That our rejoicing would be that we just are overwhelmed in gratitude when one person professes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we would rejoice in this Christmas season because a Savior who is born, who is Christ the Lord. So my application to you is simple, it is short, and it is monolithic. Do you know the Lord is your Savior? Are you rejoicing this Christmas season that He has taken away your sins and you enjoy peace with God? Christmas is more than decorations. And yes, Christmas is more than family gatherings. Christmas is more than lights. This is, Christmas is more than bells. Christmas is more than snow. Christmas is more than caroling. Christmas is more than hot chocolate and candy. Christmas is more than Santa Claus. Christmas is more than giving gifts. Christmas is rejoicing in a Savior who has come. Do you know Him? And will you take time on Christmas to celebrate and rejoice in your salvation in the salvation that's offered to others? As the shepherds made it known, may we make it known what we have heard about a Savior who was born. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this passage. And we thank you for this message that a Savior has been born. There are so many different personages. There are so many things going on. There are so many unique things that are transpiring. That it's easy for us to go off into tangents and lose sight of the proclamation that a Savior has been born. Likewise, O oh God, in this Christmas season, there are so many things for us to do, so many activities to be engaged in, so many things to do, that it's so easy to go about celebrating Christmas that somehow we lose sight of the very centrality of Christmas is that a Savior has been born. So, Lord, refresh us and renew us in this great thought. May we rejoice this Christmas because we know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. 
I pray that if there is anyone here today who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would repent and seek forgiveness and enjoy peace with God. Lord, uh, help us next week as we think about these things in greater detail. May it prove to be tremendously valuable and helpful to us. May it warm our hearts. May it thrill us. And may it bring glory to you. So, O oh God, help us to keep the gospel message central to our worship of you, our celebration of Christmas. May we share the good news of the gospel, first with our family. Lord, may we be sure that our children know and understand the gospel message. Lord, we, we can't bring them to faith. Only you can do that. But, Lord, we certainly can be assured that we have taught them. We have instructed them. And we have tried to make it as simple and as accurate as we can make it. Lord, may everyone in our household know and understand the gospel. And I pray that they would repent and seek the forgiveness of sins and enjoy peace with God. And Lord, help us to be mindful of the lost world around about us. May we take the good news of the gospel to others. And Lord, may we rejoice and be grateful for the message that's come to us. We have heard the gospel story. We have believed our sins are forgiven. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.